everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Um, if you guys would open your Bibles. Maybe you want to grab one. If you didn't, uh, they're in the back, they're on the sides. We will be camping out in Romans 8, and I feel like Romans in particular, uh, but pretty much any time Paul writes, it's very dense and it's very hard to absorb simply by hearing. And so I would, I would love for you guys to have this open as I read, as I invite you to stand uh, for the reading. We'll, we'll, I'll just read a little section now, but we'll kind of jump throughout Romans 8. And we stand because we trust the Bible uh, as God's word, but also to honor he who seeks to make himself known through it. Much like in Downton Abbey when uh, one of the masters of the house enters the room, everybody stands in respect. We stand to respect uh, God in heaven. So Romans 8 verse 15. And I want to just remind you that today we're talking uh, on the book God on Mute, which is really about unanswered prayers, God's silence, and how we cope with suffering. So with that in your mind, hear the words of Paul. So, verse 15, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. So come, Holy Spirit. We come to you with our questions, with our anxieties, with our doubts, with our suffering, with our pain, with our grief. And we ask that you would give us perspective, give us an eye toward eternity, toward a future hope that we have for complete restoration, for complete healing. So pour out your presence right now, your love. We call to you as a father in heaven who loves and cares for us. From from the deep places of our heart, we cry, Abba. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So I I hope that you guys would pick up the book, God on Mute, uh, by Pete Gregg. It's, It's been one of the deeply formative, uh, impactful books for me. It's, it's led me to cry out in, in like just honest prayer. And I've, I've studied the, the problem of pain. I've, I read uh, C.S. Lewis's book by that name in high school, I believe. I've taken classes on uh, building a theology around suffering and evil. And I find this book to be as, uh, as compelling a case, not just intellectually, but also uh, kind of to my heart 
in terms of the, the real struggle and pain and tension we feel when we celebrate a God who is good and loving and powerful, and yet, and yet here we are in a world full of trouble and trial. And I know that some of you uh, have been where I have also been, where my heart cannot keep up with the grief that it's experiencing. I know that some of you are grieving the loss of loved ones, the loss of dreams. Some of you are in acute pain, facing uh, chronic illness, facing cancer, facing uh, the loss of a spouse or a child or both. And so while we will talk a little bit today about the intellectual wrestling that we can have, I don't want to minimize the pain or the ouch or the struggle or the doubt uh, that many of you cry out from. Like there's actually something existential that happens to us when we face the amount of pain in our own lives, which is very uncomfortable. I'm someone who is pain avoidant, as I know some of you know and some of you also are. And so to square up uh, with evil, to understand like, oh, evil is is at work and sin is at work and there's actually real pain that people have and that I've experienced is uh, c- can really cause a lot of angst and struggle. And so if there are two things that we need to consider, uh, I think just theologically, it's that we believe that God is good and we believe that God is powerful. And yet, there is a gap between those two pillars of truth. And in that gap, we find suffering and we find silence. So here in the vineyard, we believe that God does miracles, that God is active in the world, that God speaks. But that sometimes our prayers go unanswered and it seems like God is distant. And I see people around the room experiencing something that I don't experience. And I I don't know how to reconcile that. Now, there's a couple of different ways to solve this problem. Uh, of course, one direction you can go is just to say God doesn't exist, uh, so I don't have to wrestle with the tension between God's goodness and God's love. Of course, that creates its own sets of problems, which we'll talk about here in a minute. The other thing that Christians sometimes do is they minimize God's power or they minimize God's goodness. So I'll just throw out a name that some of you may have heard of. Carl Jung is a Christian philosopher who has minimized God's goodness. He's taken kind of the psychological view of humans and applied it to God and said, well, God kind of screwed up and he feels kind of guilty. And so like he's not as good as you all maybe think. And that's one way to resolve the tension. God is powerful, but not good. Another, you could go a different way. Uh, I think Greg Boyd, Again, I'm not going to explain who these guys are, but there, there are certainly Christians, uh, people who identify as Christians, who have suggested that God actually has limited power. Like God loves you and he cares, he just can't do much to change the course of history or the unraveling of the world. I don't think that's honest either to the biblical account, who, who, which upholds both of these truths uh, without resolving the tension. Now, even though we can't resolve the tension, we can make these pillars of truth a little bit closer. 
And I want to say again, there is, we cannot totally close the gap between God's goodness and God's power and, and walk away feeling like completely satisfied. Um, there's, a, there's a book that I read in, in seminary called Lament for a Son, and it's written by a Christian philosopher, but he doesn't do philosophy in it. He basically just laments the loss of his son who died in a mountaineer accident. And he says there is a gap. So one of the smartest Christians in the world, Nicholas Waltersdorf, says there is a gap. And on the other side, there is a horrible, unanswerable why. All the answers I give cannot close the gap between the tension of God's good and God's power. But we can make the gap a little closer and we can say a few, well, I'll try to say a few somewhat intelligent things about the gap. In the book, God on Mute, uh, he, he kind of separates these gap closers into three categories. God's world, God's will, and God's war. And so this is the basic, uh, you know, Christian apologetic, the basic, that, that just means like, okay, let's think about why we believe what we believe. It it's, helps us understand or at least get closer to understanding why there is evil or suffering or pain or silence from God in this world. Uh, and, and the first is simply God's world. God created a world with laws like gravity, like, you know, the way that weather works, the way that uh, physics works. And he, he did this by design. And if he were to perform every miracle we asked for, the, the, the design of the world would be suspended. Miracles, by definition, are exceptions to the laws of nature, to the way that God created things to operate. And so C.S. Lewis says it this way. He said, you can attribute miracles to God, but you can't attribute nonsense. And so often we want to happen what is contradictory to the way that God designed the world. So I've done it. I've been there. I have prayed during a football game. Actually, last year's an FC Conference Championship. I was praying to God, please, a miracle now would be great. Like, I would love to win with no quarterback. Could you just please make this happen? No quarterback is helped. Do you guys remember that game? I know Frank remembers it. Frank took me. It was really kind and painful to watch <laughs> as a 49ers fan. Uh, so like a miracle, a football team can't win without a quarterback. That would be breaking the laws of physics. <laughs> and, and more generally, you know, I'm sure there were Eagles fans praying to the same end. And so what does God do with all these prayers? Uh, he probably just lets gravity take its course. <laughs> or the better team win with some, you know, how sports can be. <laughs> these little, it's a game of millimeters sometimes. Anyway, uh, so God's world. God designed a world, and I, I use kind of trite examples, and there are, there are things that can actually uh, hit a little closer to our heart, like natural disasters and, and disease, and, and there's different ways to think about pain even. So I remember from C.S. Lewis's book, he talks about, you know, there's, there's food, and there's spicy food, and then there's painful food. And, and God, in God's beauty, he created food to have a spectrum. And actually, the, as, thing, as it starts to get painful, most of us know to stop. Or we would just keep eating until, you know, it ruined our, what, what's supposed to happen after we eat the food. But, but you, can, you can see God has actually created a, a natural order where uh, pain can actually 
keep us from experiencing what might be worse on the other side. Again, doesn't totally resolve the problems. God's will is perhaps a little bit more, hmm, it, it can hit us as heavier. It's also a little more elusive because for the most part, God's world can be observed by science uh, and observation. And God's will is something that we have access through, like most trustworthy through the Bible. So we, we want to look at all the relevant Bible passages that reveal God's character, but also uh, how the Bible speaks to suffering. And what we find is the Bible actually is very honest about the reality of suffering in the world, sometimes even coming from God's hand. And I don't like that. And I'm, I would never say to someone who is in the middle of pain or a crisis, like God is trying to teach you a lesson, because I don't know that. But there are examples where God actually disciplines the people of Israel for their behavior that they might turn back to him. We find that that God can use pain, even if he's not the, even when he's not the author of pain, that he can use pain to bring out good. And we can, we can realize that under, underneath God's will is a desire to have free human beings that not only can he love, but can love him back. So you and I might love a car or a job, but that thing will not love us back. God wanted to create a world where people could freely choose. And so a quote from the book, uh, God on Mute, it says, says, God could, by definition, enforce his agenda, but he has chosen instead to allow his creatures, in the words of Blaise, did I say that right? Blaise, thank you. Pascal. See, I, I know, I just should have gone straight for Pascal. Pascal. The dignity of causality. Okay, what does that mean? God's sovereignty does not require him to bully his creation into resentful submission. He is the Lord of lords, but his kingdom is not a dictatorship. Next slide. Instead, he prays, he beguiles, he loves, he listens, he lays himself down. It is Satan who manipulates, dominates, and rapes. And so God's nature is to entice our hearts with gentleness and infinite subtlety, dignifying our lives continually with choice. And so maybe if you've been following Jesus for a while, if you've read some of the books on apologetics, there's the free will defense. And I find this actually to be a little bit more, this is a form of the free will defense, but it's actually the, the this is how love works defense. And I don't know, I've actually had my heart broken by a member of the opposite sex. Maybe some of you have too. And I prayed, God, would she love me? And thankfully, God didn't answer that prayer. But if he would have, he would have actually suspended the world that he wanted to love him out of free choice. The idea of, you know, Cupid firing a love arrow that overrides the will of a human being is actually not love. God has those arrows he chooses not to fire them. And because he gives us the option to love or to not love, to obey or to not obey, to, to trust or to not trust, 
there's a world that's full of sin and suffering. And you can go back to Genesis and see how one choice began to unravel. But it, it's, it's our choices too. And we would have made the same choice because of our just tendency towards self, let's say. Finally, God's war is just a reminder, as we say in the vineyard, that we're not the only team on the field. And the way that God's will and God's war interact may come to us uh, as clearly as anywhere through the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us to pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Which is to say, God's will is not done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven, which is hard for any Calvinist to hear. And that we have not yet been totally delivered from evil, which is hard for maybe many charismatics to hear. That there's still a war going on inside of us and outside of us. And while God has won victory, the battles continue. And it's very uncomfortable for people who live in a world, uh, this part of the world in particular, where there's, you know, there's not as much suffering and we don't have to wonder where food will come from for the most part, where we don't have to wonder if a neighboring country will invade or, or if because, there, because of just lack of police force, if the neighbors will knock down the door. And so the idea of, a spiritual war, a, a personified evil that comes against us is, is or can be pretty foreign to us. But I want to just bring that to the forefront of our mind for a moment, not to give Satan too much credit or too little, right? To recognize that Jesus is victorious and Satan is still active in the world. And so when we pray to consider inviting God's power to drive out evil as well as heal, as well as comfort. And so these three things, there could be so much more said. I mean, there are books, thick books written. This book is like fairly thin, and he goes through, I think, nine points on, you know, the, this is God's world, and God's will is, you know, similarly, like he, he spells some things out. And so we're, we're trying to bring the two truths a little closer. And one of the things that I find so, so remarkable is when we, when we consider some of the great evils that have happened in this world over the last hundred years, or even over the course of history, we, we all think of the Holocaust, right? And, uh, and God on mute, this, this point is brought up. And if we can put up that next quote, he, he looks at a study that was done like with Holocaust survivors when he says this, the horrors of the Holocaust had no impact at all on the religious convictions of a remarkably high percentage, almost half of the survivors. Somehow these people had endured hell on earth without losing their faith in Yahweh. Now this is a quote from one of the survivors. It never occurred to me to question God's doings while I was an inmate in Auschwitz wrote one. 
Next slide, please. However problematic his existence may seem, without God, this bankruptcy, this broken marriage, this four-year-old with leukemia, this congregation killed by lightning, this mother mowed down by a drunk driver, the tragedies of life are reduced to meaningless losses in the great evolutionary casino. And so, in other words, to return to the idea of atheism, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have a tension and we have a gap and we have a problem. But if we were to erase God entirely, what we find is that we have a, a new set of problems, or one main one, and that's that it's all meaningless. All the suffering doesn't mean anything, and there's not hope for divine intervention. Without God, we are hopelessly alone in a twisted reality, contorting without spiritual comfort and without the hope, however distant, of supernatural intervention. But with God, we have hope <laughs> that there will be purpose and that he will supernaturally intervene, whether it be in this moment or at the end of time with the return of Jesus. And he does both. So we pray for miracles and we trust God in all things. Corey Ten Boom, who many of you know, uh, a Christian Dutch lady who, because of faith, God gave her courage to hide Jews. And because of her faith, strength to survive her time in a concentration camp after being discovered and captured by the Nazis. And so she knows suffering. And so this quote by Corrie ten Boom carries different weight than uh, a simple pithy saying, uh, you know, on the the front of a Facebook meme or whatever. Corrie ten Boom says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. In other words, there are moments where you feel particularly vulnerable and the world feels particularly dark. This is not the time to jump off the train. Uh, to put it in the words of the Jesuits, don't question in the dark what God has told you in the light. Tunnels can be long, tunnels are dark, tunnels can be scary, and there are moments where even the most faithful, faithful person will waver and doubt. Take David, for instance, who wrote many of the Psalms. Take Jesus, for instance, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is in turmoil and he prays prayers that are not immediately answered. Or... Uh, for instance, the prayer that Jesus prays that the church would be united, like the global church would, would act as one. There's a prayer that still hasn't been answered. So even Jesus has an unanswered prayer. Even Jesus has been through the tunnel. And the remarkable example of that unanswered prayer of Jesus is it has something that is qualitatively different from the other prayers that Jesus prayed. The prayer that the church would be one depends on our free will. And so Jesus' prayer, even Jesus' prayer, does not force or overpower the freedom of choice that God gives us. And so we have a choice when we're in the dark tunnel. And we, we have more. <laughs> if you're still in Romans 8, I want to I bridge this gap, not with complete resolution, but with a few more truths 
that help us survive the tunnel. So, once again, in Romans 8, verse 15 at the end, now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And so we have this reminder that we can call out at the most basic level of our heart, Dad, help. I've woken up in the middle of the night, and all I can get out with my, like, cotton mouth is help. Help. That's what God offers us. He offers us the ability to say, in the middle of the night, Abba. This this relationship of tender care. If you jump over to verse 26, 26 of chapter 8, and I, I find this so interesting. I'm skipping parts, but I, I always remember Romans chapter 8 as the, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how it starts. And he's talking about victory over sin primarily. Uh, but then in this context of like being God's children, of being declared righteous, of being promised that we will not be condemned because of Jesus' sacrifice, he weaves suffering in. And I think this is so brilliant. Because sin has something to do with suffering, as like we talked about in terms of free choice. And yet, here, is, here it is to help us get through the tunnel. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. The Father who knows all hearts. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Not something I would say to someone who is in a crisis or who is in pain, but something to hang on to. Something that you need to remember. That God does actually work all things to the good of those who love him. Uh, in the words of Isaiah 61, God brings beauty out of ashes. And so there is this tapestry that we can't always understand that looks chaotic and confusing. But when you zoom out, someday we'll be shown what God was doing, the way that God was turning our suffering toward our good or toward his glory. And so even though there's a gap, we're, also, we're not left alone. And finally... This is Romans 8 still, and this is where Paul asks the question overtly. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? This is verse 35, Romans 8, 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? That was, that was a list. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we suffer? doesn't mean that he no longer loves us if we feel like all we get back from him is silence. Verse 37, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell 
can separate us from God's love. And so there's a war, and Satan may win a little battle here and there, but even hell can't separate us from God's love. No power can separate us from God's love. And so this is not a generic, you know, God is loving. It's true. Intellectually, it's important to know. This is a personal. When you're asking the question, does God still love me? Does he even exist? You can know that nothing can separate you from his love. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.